Алло, Катя. Hey, Привет. Привет. Hello. Well, uh, I'm, I'm kind of fine. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, just kind of. I... Gosh, Katya, I don't even know what to say. Uh, it's just because I woke up. It's because I woke up at 5.30 yesterday and I haven't slept since then. Oh my gosh. So it's kind of crazy. I feel like I'm in a movie. I woke up, I think, to the ex- kind of like explosion. I was like, what is going on? And I heard the the cars, they started like this. Beep, 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 beep. And I, I heard another uh, kind of this explosion. I grabbed my uh, phone and I uh, opened um, some messenger and I saw people uh, saying like in Kharkov, in Odessa, Nikolaev, like the same time they heard uh, explosions and uh, those were uh, those rockets. Just after 5 a.m. Thursday morning, Katya Nibarka woke up to the dull thud of missile fire landing on the outskirts of Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, where she lives. Soon, the rest of the world would wake up to the grim news that, after weeks of diplomacy, threats of sanctions, international censure, and brinkmanship, Russian President Vladimir Putin had declared war on Ukraine. He'd initiated attacks in dozens of cities in the north, east, and south of the country. A full-scale invasion was underway, the first war in Europe in the 21st century. This is a special edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Aaron Brown, and today we're taking you inside Kyiv as it comes under siege from Russian forces. We're spending today's whole episode with Katya, who spoke to us from her apartment in Kyiv as she, like so many other Ukrainians, grapples with what this invasion means for her future and weighs the risks of staying and facing possible Russian missile strikes, or leaving the city and maybe even the country she loves and believes in. After the first round of artillery landed on the outskirts of Kyiv, rattling Katya out of her bed, things went eerily quiet on the streets in her neighborhood on the western bank of the Dnieper River. But inside her apartment, her phone began ringing off the hook. Her mom, her neighbors, Friends nearby and farther afield, like me, called to check in and see if she too felt the blast. I understand that something is going on, but I didn't feel like I didn't panic. Uh, I kind of felt kind of calm. For weeks, Ukrainians had been hoping for the best and planning for the worst. Or at least what they thought would be the worst, as Putin lined up an estimated 200,000 troops on the border. Most expected that if an invasion happened, it would be in the southeast of the country, in a region called the Donbass, which has been embroiled in conflict with Russian proxies since 2014. Few expected attacks right in the capital. It's hard to believe, especially like in a way it happened, because when a few days before or even weeks, they talked about like different scenarios and something like this. We were like shocked because they started this like the attack from the different um, directions, different like parts at the same time, because what we were told before is that they can attack from here or from there or they can do this or that and they did everything (laughs) so uh, that's why it was like you don't know what to expect katya called into work she works from home as an english instructor for an it company to find classes were canceled after hours of checking countless telegram channels and facebook updates trying to figure out what was going on getting a mix of news and rumors about shelling in different cities including in kiev she tried to get some rest and the worst part 
effect of all of this is because they did this like shelling with the rockets mm -hmm. early in the morning yesterday and the same today. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of not, you know, you like you kind of want to sleep, but you cannot because you are afraid that you miss something or you miss um, uh, alarm. Is mm -hmm. this alarm? Yeah. Yeah. Like the like the oh, air raid, no. like the air raid sound. Like the sound. Yeah. <laughs> so right now you're just at home by yourself with no work yeah. and nothing to do. With How my my computer, with my uh, cell phone, with people calling. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. I don't feel lonely <laughs> yeah. or scared. I I I don't think I I ever felt scared. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe God loves me. <laughs> Katya's always had a good deal of savoir. She and I met as volunteers in some rough neighborhoods in Moscow in the late noughties. And despite being all of five feet two inches, she was never one to mess with. She'd been on Independence Square in Kyiv during the Orange Revolution in 2004. A decade later, she and I met up on that same square just after the Maidan protests. And she regaled me with stories of begging shopkeepers to sell her all their lemons to help with tear gas burns. And holding up in some of the nearby Orthodox churches when sniper fire started. But not every Ukrainian I've spoken to in the last day feels the same kind of calm. We have friends who headed straight for metro stations in Kyiv, which are currently doubling as bomb shelters, to camp out, terrified that their cinderblock apartment buildings would be targeted by Russian missile fire. Others were desperately trying to pack their kids, enough food, essential documents, and some clothing into their car, and make a mad dash for the Polish border, seven hours away, not accounting for the near total gridlock on the main highway out of Kyiv. One friend told me it was now or never. She lives on the east bank of the Dnepr. And as Russian soldiers were closing in on Obolon, a northern neighborhood on Kyiv's western bank on Friday morning, she was terrified they'd take out the bridges crossing the river, and her family would be stuck without a way to get to the border. Already in the first two days of fighting, the UN estimates that more than 100,000 people have been uprooted from their homes. The European Union has said it's preparing to take in up to 5 million refugees. And the UNHCR is already setting up reception centers in Poland, Hungary, and Romania. I asked Katya if she, too, was making an exit plan. Are you planning to stay in Kyiv? Are you thinking about leaving? Why should I go? Like, none of my friends, like all of my friends, they stay here. My family is here. Why should I leave? Yeah. It's like staying at home for me. I felt like staying at home is uh, like safer, <laughs> more safe than going out to going somewhere, you know, standing somewhere on uh, being stuck in the traffic jam. But for Katya, the decision to stay is more than just about what's safest. There's a calculation she and so many other Ukrainians are making right now, not just about their own lives and futures, but about their destiny as a nation and a people and about the kind of country and world they want to live in. The symbol of Ukraine is a kind of filigreed trident. When I was there covering the war in 2014, for the first time somebody pointed out to me that it spells out the word volya, or freedom. Can you tell me a little bit about what volya means to you and to the Ukrainian people? This is the yeah. most important. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I sound too religious, but it's like uh, God, he, this uh, right to choose what to do, 
Like this was the first, I don't know, like gift. And so Ukrainians, they're kind of uh, like for me, it is important. Maybe it wasn't like this before, but when I look, for example, like at uh, countries like uh, Russia or Belarus or Kazakhstan, uh, I understand that if you don't have freedom, you actually don't have uh, anything. And there is this saying, okay, so if between bread and freedom you choose bread, then eventually you won't have freedom and you won't have bread. But if you choose freedom, you'll have everything. And there's something different about the way you use it in Ukraine. Like in Russian, we say svoboda when we're talking about freedom, but volya is more like our will or agency. Volya, maybe volya, it is something like inner, you mm. know? Svoboda, it is something that is given to you, but volya, it is something you have inside. So it's kind of good that we like volya and freedom because uh, right now uh, Ukraine is fighting not only for uh, its own freedom, but also for uh, the freedom of other countries. Europe, United States, they kind of proclaim the, some kind of values, but I'm not sure they are ready to actually protect those values. Moscow takes gas, oil, whatever, sells it to Europe, especially like Germany or France. So Europe pays Putin for gas and for oil. And then Putin, for those money, he creates armies and he's like oppresses people. Okay, we are not a part of NATO or uh, EU, but still it's hard to fight those missiles with sanctions. Of course, the United States and the Europe, they will suffer also because of those sanctions and maybe uh, people uh, also will feel, but they are just suffering like economically and while Ukrainians, they... Uh, Die. You know, you said something okay. just a minute ago that really struck me, Katya, which mm -hmm. is that the West has values they profess, but they aren't necessarily willing to live up to them. And I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious how that makes you feel sitting in a city that you love, that you personally have mm -hmm. have fought to keep free. I mean, you were on Maidan in in 2014. How does it make you feel? Life is unju unjust <laughs> but you know i i know that i i have a feeling that we should do it by ourselves i mean like nobody is supposed to fight for us maybe it's like our sounds like a mission but uh, there is something we need to do because i think ukraine i love my country and people but i feel like when something happens we can unite and we can work together we can overcome any problem maybe this war can change the way we see ourselves. Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of Beyond the Headlines. If you liked it, we hope you subscribe and follow more of our coverage over at thenationalnews.com.